Wanna go, pretty boy? Two minutes by yourself and you feel shame, you know, and then you get free. The only thing better than a glass of beer is tea with Miss McGill. And welcome to the 4th Line Voice Podcast. My name is Darren. Thank you very much for tuning in. Episode 19 of the big show, some enforcer-based podcasting coming at you. Brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. We're, we're, we're into the final stages of the first round of the Bob Probert Invitational Tournament on Twitter. And uh, the response has just been outstanding so far. And I want to thank everybody who's, uh, who's taken the time to vote. I always tell everybody, tell you guys, if your listeners out there, if you guys aren't on Twitter... Seriously, just join up. I mean, just be the anonymous egg, number one, two, three, and uh, fourth line voice on Twitter. Sign up and just, uh, you know, it's a it's a March Madness style tournament. Sixty four hockey stuff as dudes, and and each day we put up uh, put up the matchups and the bracket, and uh, yeah, it was a number. I picked sixty four guys, and then uh, threw their names into a computer generator, and it spit out the matchups and. Boy, I'll tell you, some tough first-round matchups like Dave Brown versus George LaRock in the first round. You know, and Brown got the vote over him, which surprised me, actually. Um, you know, actually, what, what really surprised me, especially with Twitter being like Leaf Nation, was Grimson over Colt Knorr. That actually, that voting really surprised me. I didn't think that would happen. But uh, what was the other one? Oh, Larry Playfair and Ben Wilson. and Yeah, so there were some bad dudes that went out in the first round. So, But yeah, the computer spit them out, and here we go, right? But yeah, it's been, been like I said, really well received, and it was funny. Um, Saturday and Sunday was they did you know the voting was really strong, but Monday, man, you know we uh, you know Saturday I did it at noon, and then uh, but of course with work and everything, Monday it was about five thirty, Sask you know in Saskatchewan, Saskatoon time when I uh, when I uh, posted the next matchups and. It just took off, so I guess you know people get home from work during the week and they're hanging out on their couch and casting their votes. And uh, like just yesterday, I looked; it was like seventy-two thousand impressions yesterday on my on my Twitter feed. So that was uh, you know unbelievable. So that's really cool, and I really appreciate everybody taking the time to vote and making the tournament. You know, it's like I said, it's the fourth annual, and we always have lots of fun with it. And a lot of people have been contributing this year and commenting on the fights, and everybody's been really you know respectful and cool. And then, like I said, the players chime in and. I know Cam Jansen wasn't real happy that he drew uh, Jim McKenzie in the first round. That's a tough first round matchup, but uh, you know um, it, it, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, you know, to dogs is God that uh, decided to uh, you know oh he was going to be so woke, and he decided to chime into that Philadelphia. And I really was it was that Bill. Oh, I feel bad now. Bill uh, Metzer Meltzer. Anyway, he's a Philadelphia Flyer. Um, media guy, and he's got like a like tens of thousands of followers. Well, he retweeted the tournament and said, you know, of course he put the Flyers spin on it. Hey, you're gonna vote for Fedorik and the boys, but uh, it was really cool that he would, uh, you know, with his his um, social media obviously um, reach that he would uh, retweet that and comment. So that was really cool. But uh, and of course, this guy chimes in and well, I voted, but I wasn't happy about it and. 
I think with all the mental problems that these guys have and blah 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 and then of course he tweets Carcillo to let him know about hey car bomb did you see this tournament like what are you doing like you snitch tweet to Carcillo like what's Carcillo gonna do what are you gonna file an injunction on me or something I'm like you talk about someone that has like zero credibility in the hockey world you know and that's the thing I'm not gonna go on some off on some tangent about Dan Carcillo because my own my biggest issue with him is last year he's on Twitter asking everybody to if you don't agree with me let's have a a, a debate and philosoph and philosophize and blah 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 so I did I was respectful and I started and I argued with him or not argued but I just debated with him oh yeah like two tweets and he blocks me because I made him look like a jackass basically so yeah I'm like well clearly you don't want to have a debate Dan unless you know you'll listen if they agree with you but other than that I mean you're just trying to you know some like I said some and and for the I mean like I've always said with Carcillo his general platform of you know, the league should probably be taking care of the guys and the union and everything with life after hockey and everything and the mental side of things. I completely agree with him, 100%. I just don't like the way he goes about doing it and the way he's throwing some guys under the bus and grandstand and he's been caught lying. Like I said, Biss and that put him on blast there on Twitter, you know, about, you know, with his racist bullshit and his swastika bathrobe that he had and I mean Carcillo was just an ass right and you talk to a lot of guys back in this playing days Carcillo was just a jerk off and uh and I've talked to I'm not going to name names but I've you know with my podcast and with Twitter I've I've talked to lots and lots of players not one has any respect for him you know so you know and then now and I mean he's come out and said he hazed and he did all this and he's owned up to it I'll give him that but at the same time now he's suing the the uh, Canadian Hockey Junior Hockey League for hazing and underage drinking and all this. It's like underage drinking and drugs. You mean high school? Like really, man? You know, well, let's all sue our high schools because we all were underage drinking. Like, you know, I'm like, what? What do you? What's Carcillo doing suing himself? You know, like need money that bad? And like the one player there, I don't know what the kid's name is, but oh, they made me. They made me do drugs. Oh God, made like. Maybe grow a set and just say no then if it bothers you so much. Like, you know, I, hey, I'm sorry you got issues and everything else, and I'm not making light of it, but I mean, really, it's like, why is it always everyone else's fault? Like, just own up to it. We all underage drank, did some drugs, and I wasn't doing meth or anything in high school, but I'm, we did the weed and all that shit. I mean, whatever. Who am I going to blame? You know, like, oh, let's blame someone. I don't know. And I mean, and not to say hazing didn't happen. Oh, I mean, yeah, there was some real horrendous shit that happened. Now, I had hazing done to me. You know, I mean, nothing that serious. Like, you know, we'd stick a shit up our asses or anything. But, I mean, and I was never a big hazing guy. I always hated that shit. But, I mean, for us, it was basically just take the rookies out. We'd all just go drink. That's all we did. And we'd mix a few, here's vodka, rum, and this. And here, drink them, rookie. You know, and yeah, a couple of you puke or whatever. And whatever. Life would go on, right? I mean, you know, but it was a good team bonding thing. And everybody had a lot of fun and whatever. Like I said, we didn't get... But not to say that that didn't happen. I mean, yeah, there was some brutal shit that happened. and uh, But, I mean, uh, you know, and on, then on hockey Twitter now, of course, you get, uh, well, there's, you know, some hero there on, on Twitter between uh, pauses his video game just long enough to tweet that we we need to change the toxic culture in hockey. 
Oh, yeah. Bet- between his pausing of his video games and his six bathroom selfies, wh- what talks... You haven't, you haven't come within 50 miles of a hockey rink. What would you know about hockey culture? But like I said, the silent... Or the vocal minority's got the most to say. And, oh, yeah, no, we need to change it. And, oh, yeah. You don't even know what it is. So, but, you know, you'll get your your white knights of Twitter that, uh, you know, ride on their on their horse and like to... Uh, you know, play hero. You know, I had one one girl there. She was she was barking at me about hockey culture, and I'm like, oh. So between you know between your six bathroom selfies, you managed to tweet me a few times and talk about how my how my account is just everything wrong with the game. Oh yeah, because you know so much about the game. You've been a big fan for about nine minutes. You know, you know, give me a break. You know, whatever. But that's such as the world we live in, right? I mean, that's the. Here I am trying to tell everybody to come on t- on, t- on Twitter to to join the tournament, but at the same time I'm just you know professing what a s- sewer social media is. But um, but overall, I mean, by timeline, I, you know, I said I have a lot of guys that I enjoy talking hockey with, but could have no use for their view on politics or anything. You know, and I don't have a problem if you have a different view on politics than I do. That's that's fine, but. The, the the real hardcore stupid shit like no I'm not I'm just muting you I mean if it's really ridiculous I'll block you but you know I, I have a lot of followers on mute I'll talk cocky with you but I'm not talking I don't want to listen to you about anything else but uh, oh well that's social media in a nutshell but um, yeah so I'm just sort of rambling oh I I did it again. I was actually this is my like the second take of this episode, but I, you know I wish everybody a happy uh, Canada Day. That's listening uh, tomorrow. Obviously, when this releases, um, you know for the July first, um, you know hopefully everybody. Uh, ah, it sucks. It's on a Wednesday, right? Middle of the week. Get Wednesday off. Who, who, you know? But uh, and then of course my American listeners, the uh, Independence Day on the July Fourth. I hope everybody uh, has a good time and stays healthy. And I mean, uh, I know uh, you know the way the world's going, the virus and everything crazy. And I mean, it's really spiked here lately. So I really wish. I hope everyone out there, you know, stays safe, follow social distancing, and wear a mask. You idiots, wear a mask, or else you're gonna be we're gonna be in this forever. You know. Listen to the doctors, believe me. Listen to the doctors. But, uh, no, other than that, actually, I have a really cool, um, you know, I had a few, I had some guests lined up, but uh, things got pushed back, so, and then with the Probert tournament going on, and that's kind of really taking a lot of my focus, and, you know, and just, hey, life, right? You get busy. But I was going through my old uh, website and my old files, and um, the first Christmas that I had my website, I did a, a 12 days of Christmas or a 12 guests, pardon me, of Christmas special. I can't believe I actually had 12 guys on. That was unbelievable. And each guy did 20 or 30 minutes or whatever. And I gave him different topics. can't believe I managed to track all those people down. But one of the guys I had on was former, uh, was ex-player Jamie Rivers. And I mean, I think most of you guys listen know who, who Rivers is. I mean, you know, obviously he wasn't an enforcer or anything, but just a really good guy. He tells great stories. And, um, I, I said, and his topic I said was like instead of the three wise men, I'm like just you know the three, your three kind of just uh, excellent teammates, you know, and uh, 
you know, and, and just one of the boys and, and who had, who he had some good laughs with. And, um, like I said, like he talks about, he played with a lot of guys, but, uh, he, he tells some funny stories and I think you guys will get a real kick out of it. And I was really happy to find that sound bite. And, and, uh, yeah, so I guess Jamie Rivers will be my guest today, but, uh, yeah, no, don't worry, guys. I got stuff lined up, and I got some players lined up. Some really cool names, actually. Guy, actually, a few guys that have never done podcasts before, ex players that have never, you know, have never been on any other show. So I think it'll be a lot of fun to get them on and uh, and, and really tell their story. And like I said, uh, over at the Bucket Drop podcast, um, uh, I Rob had me on to do. Um, you know, the LNAH top 10, and that was a real fun exercise. Tough, tough to do top 10 in the LNAH, I'll tell you. But uh, he's done it. It was in part two parts. He just released part two today. So I really, uh, I highly encourage everybody to go over and check that out. I had a lot of a lot of fun talking to, to Rob. And a big thing that he's doing, and apparently he's actually sold some hats, which is really cool to hear. And uh, But uh, like I said, go over to the Bucket Drop on Twitter, and uh, he's selling hats, and all the proceeds uh, go to the uh, um, Children's Abuse Center in Ontario, um, you know, so it's a really good cause, and uh, I really like what he's doing, and, uh, you know, and hey, like I said, just a little podcast trying to help out as best he can, and uh, I know he sold some hats, so that was really cool to hear, so hopefully everyone listening, uh, go go get a hold of Rob and tell him you're interested, and he'll, uh, he'll hook you up, and... Uh, you know, like I said, we'll raise some money for a good cause. But, um, no, I was just talking about, well, and then, of course, you know, and not that I'm going to talk current hockey, but, of course, the NHL draft happened, and apparently that uh, that was all messed up, and I don't know what's going on, and people are complaining, and, you know, I, I wasn't paying attention, but it, it got me thinking, actually. I was just thinking, how many kind of tough guys kind of went in the first round of all the NHL drafts, and I just kind of went and was kind of looking up through the, through the years, and I mean, 1969 was the first uh, amateur draft, and, you know, I just kind of looked, and Moose DuPont actually went number eight to the New York Rangers, you know, and, um, you know, 1970, Adam Maloney, and, uh, you know, 71, you actually had uh, a couple big names, um, it, the, the uh, New York Rangers, actually, 13th overall, they took Steve Durbano, and anybody, I mean, all the old-timers listening, they'll, they'll know who Durbano is, but, uh, the younger listeners, if you're like, who, believe me, go go Google his name, and uh, it's quite the story, uh, tragic story, really, but um, yeah, he, old Derby was was nuts, and of course, right after him, 14 was uh, with with the Bruins taking Terry O'Reilly, so that, that turned out to be a hell of a pick, and uh, you know what, I was looking at O'Reilly's stats, man, he was like 891 career games, he had like 600 points in like 2,000 minutes of penalties. I mean, you know, you talk about, like, the ascent power forward. I mean, you know, there you go. And, uh, you know, 1974, that was another, you know, Kansas City Scouts took Wolf Paymont second overall. There's another guy, 946 games, 814 points. I mean, you know, another power. And then, hey, number four overall Hall of Famer with New York Islanders, uh, Clark Gillies, 958 games, 697 points. You know, I'm a I, I like Gillies. It was cool, power forward guy, but I'll tell you, I I still can't believe he made the Hall of Fame. To be completely honest, um, I mean it's cool. I mean it's not like I'm throwing up picket signs and you know let's riot because he made it in. But oof, I don't know, you know. But uh, actually, right right after um, uh, Gillies uh, went number five to Montreal was Cam Connor. 
out of Flimflon or the Western League. And uh, I did Of course, he spent most of his time in the WHA, you know. But like 274 games, WHA, 171 points. You know, 900 penalty minutes. He had NHL. He only played 89 games, but he had 256 minutes. Um, you know, over a couple seasons. But uh, I know it was last year, and he almost had a goal a game. Um, in junior in his final year, I didn't think he put up that number, that many uh, that numbers, but uh, yeah, Cam Connor, and I think he actually has a podcast. Um, I'm not quite sure if he's still doing it, but I know he did have one. I think he was doing it with his kid, and uh, that, he had some interesting stories. Um, of course, the 1975 draft, number one, Philly took Mel Bridgman, another great pick. Um, you know, uh, 1977, number two overall of Colorado, Barry Beck. You know, big D-man. Um, played a long time. I know Don Cherry is really happy with that pick. Cherry was coaching Colorado at the time and uh, was really happy with Barry. Um, you know, in 78, you know, 13th overall the Buffalo, Larry Playfair. Man, didn't get much tougher than Big Larry. Um, you know, and actually in that same draft, like number 16 uh, to Boston was Al Secord. There's another guy, power forward, just legit. Um um, you know, 40 goal season, 300 minutes. Um, yeah, no, it was interesting just going through the different drafts. 1979, of course, you know, Winnipeg took Jimmy Mann, and that, that was a pretty controversial pick. But, um, you know, and then 1982, it was a tough one. First overall was Gord Kluzak with the Bruins, and uh, just a lot of injury problems with Kluzak. And it was a shame because, you know, big D-man out of the Western League, and, and Kluzak could go. I was actually, I really liked Kluzak. I was, I was watching some old footage back then, some old early 80s footage, and, and he was really good. Had a couple of really good tilts, Dave Brown, and big guy, and it was just injuries just took their toll on him. That was a really interesting draft, actually, you know, because number three overall was Toronto, was Gary Nyland. Um, number five in Washington, Scott Stevens. 11 was Petit. You know, number 12 was Winnipeg with Jim Kite. Number 18 to New Jersey was Kenny Danico. Um, 1,283 games, all with the devil. It's hard to believe nowadays, right? Guy playing all one with one team, but, but what a draft that year. And then, of course, 1983, I mean, you know, you had my boy Cam Neely going to Vancouver at number 9, and Gerald Diddick at 16. Um, Oilers at number 19 took Bookaboom, and, you know, at 21, Boston took Nevin Marquardt and his bad bucket. <laughs> oh, man. I always wonder what possesses guys to wear buckets like that. Like, come on. But uh, 1984, yeah, Corson went 8th overall, and then Roberts went 12th. There's a couple of really great power forwards. And then number 14 of the Rangers actually took Terry Karkner. Underrated Terry Karkner. If, you ever, if you're ever on YouTube, well, if you're ever on YouTube, everyone goes on YouTube. Go on YouTube, look up Terry Karkner. You'll be pleasantly surprised. And, of course, in 85, number 1 overall, Wendell. You know, 793 games, 564 points, 1,600 minutes. You know, actually, number 11 in that draft, or 11th overall, was uh, Dave Manson, you know, out of Prince Albert. And, uh, you know, 1,100 games. I, I didn't realize Manson played that many games. But, uh, yeah, in 86, he had uh, Everett Santa pass. Uh, they went 14th to Chicago. 18th, Quebec, Kenny McRae. You know, no, it was just, it was it was really cool just to kind of go through the the different draft years and, and, and look and uh of course, it was interesting. You can see the trends, right? Like in the, basically in the 80s and 90s, like some bigger teams, especially Vancouver for a couple of years in a row, just went with the top. I mean, everybody was looking for Probert, right? Everybody was looking for the next Probert. But um, yeah, 89 was interesting. Number three, Toronto, uh, Scott Thornton. 
Um, and then number 12, Toronto also took Rob Pearson. I was a big, I love Scott Thornton. He was great. Uh, it was too bad Toronto gave up on him so quick, but cause he had a, he turned himself into a hell of a player. And, uh, and I really liked Rob Pearson. He, him and Lindros were wicked together with Oshawa. Um, you know, and then it was interesting. Number 17 in that draft, uh, was the Bruins. They took Shane Stevenson and it was, in, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think who my guest was that was really pumping Stevenson's tires. I want to say it was Max Mittendorf, but it might not have been. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, I've been trying to find some Stevenson footage, and it was just one of those cases that, you know, the guy's just, I don't want to say an attitude problem, but just, you know, just, eh, you know, he's just uh, had all the talent, maybe just didn't have the drive. I'm not sure. I'm, you know, that was kind of what they, they were leading towards, you know. But um, yeah, I actually just put up a fight from him the other night when he was in Maine. He just buckles some dude in Fredericton like three shots. You know, but uh, he put up good, sweet numbers in the minors. But uh, you know, just couldn't uh, just couldn't stick in the NHL. But uh, 1990, of course, Montreal took uh, Turner Stevenson, and um, that was the big draft, the Yager Primo Ricci draft. But uh, Owen Nolan, and but yeah, Stevenson went 12th. Brad May went 14th. Uh, Vancouver at number 18 took Sean Antoski, and it's it of course with hindsight, everyone's a genius with hindsight, right? But actually, if you go back and look at Antoski, I mean, was all up, and it's finally you're a junior, big dude, tough, point of game guy in junior. Then he played two years in the IHL in Milwaukee, 17 goals both seasons, like 300 and some minutes and penalties, you know. And then the IHL, you know, veteran league, and at that, you know, at that time you'd be 2021. 20, I mean, those are solid numbers, and uh, you know, so I mean, they're probably thinking, here we go, we got our next Probert, and uh, just didn't work out with Antoski, but. Uh, you know, and then it's interesting because then the next year in 91, of course, that's the big Lindros draft year. But again, Vancouver, number seven overall, they took Alex Stoinoff. You know, and of course, what, you know, he sort of becomes a footnote because, of course, he got traded for Marcus Nas, Pittsburgh traded for him, Marcus Nasland. And, you know, obviously that, uh, that was a huge move for Vancouver. But, um, but again, you go back and you look at Stoinoff, 30 goal guy in junior, big, was, you know, um, I haven't seen a lot of his OHL. I mean, I've read a, we all read about him, but I, you know, the fight that actually they always talk about was Lindros and Stoyanov in the OHL, and uh, I would love to. No one's ever seen footage of it. I would love to see footage of that. And uh, there actually isn't a lot of Stoyanov junior fights, but I was a big Stoyanov, like in the pros in the NHL. He had some really good fights and, uh, and in the minors and stuff. And like I said, big dude, and he had some injury problems, but. Again, you go back and look at his stats, 20-some goals in the American League as a young, as a rookie. and So, I mean, the promise was there, but it was just like these big guys, just when they get to Vancouver and they just couldn't, I don't know what it was, they just couldn't adapt or or what happened. But, uh, yeah, but it was just 95. Of course, he had Terry Ryan, number eight overall to Montreal. And um, the following 97, it was interesting. Number 16, Chicago, they took Ty Jones. And, you know, I've had a lot of get Chris Graff, Josh Mazur, they all... They all Ty Jones stories and big dude, legitimate talent, but just, you know, heart really wasn't in it, but big guy, tough, you know, and it's, it's too bad, but, uh, yeah, it could have been interesting. Actually, another interesting in that 97 draft was number 20 overall for Florida was Mike Brown. And he was a guest on my old show. And he was a really good guest. I'm going to, the vault episode, maybe I'll put him up on this Sunday. He was, and, uh, I always say, I don't know if that really hurt him was he got traded for Pavel Bure. Of course, you know, when you're involved in that type of trade for a, a big name like that in that era, I don't know, in in my opinion, to me, it sort of doomed him from the start. And he had some, again, good talent, 
big guy, tough, but um, yeah, just uh, couldn't seem to put it together at the NHL level, but uh, I was always a big Mike Brown fan, but uh, you know, in 1998, 20 overall to the Avalanche was Scott Parker, and uh, I think that was the year they had like four first round picks, and it was him and Regeer and um, Hey Duke, and I can't remember the other guy, um, but yeah, Parker, man, that was... I mean, yeah, like the guy said, even on the draft, he got the toughest guy in the in the in junior hockey, and uh, of course he went on to you know play with the Avs, and I mean everybody remembers Scott Parker, but um, I wonder if how many of the listeners out there know that actually the year before that he was actually drafted in the third round by New Jersey, and uh, he just never signed with them, but he did go to camp, and uh, if you go to my YouTube page, Fourth Line Voice on YouTube, I actually do have some of Scott Parker's um, New Jersey Devil camp fights. Um, against uh, Aaron Downey was one of them. Um, Jason Hamilton. I can't remember who the third guy was, but yeah. So that's some really, uh, you know, some kind of some unique stuff. And uh, Parker actually going twice in the draft, but yeah, the, he uh, not signing with New Jersey and then hanging out and then becoming a first round of the following year. Because man, that was the year that that fall. It was a great move on Parker's part, and he and he made the most of it. Scored 30 goals in his last year at junior and literally destroyed the Western Hockey League. Like I said, go to my YouTube channel. I have lots of his WHL fights up there. And honestly, he looked like a man amongst boys, six, six foot five, and, and literally just destroying guys. You talk to anybody from that era that played against him, they all said that, like Mike Brown said it, Josh Mazur said it, Chris Graff all said it on my show about Parker. Unbelievable. But, uh, yeah, other than that, it was interesting. Uh, kind of the last uh, kind of, you know, big kind of tough guy in the first round, 2012, number 16 overall by Washington, Tom Wilson. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, he's sort of the modern-day uh, power forward and, you know, making how many millions a year. And, uh, you know, so it turned out to be a great pick. I remember when it first happened, and they Washington really rushed him up to the NHL and, uh there was a lot of, it's funny because I can remember on Twitter lots of Caps fans bitching about him and what a waste of a pick and he's a goon and blah, blah, blah. But now they all love him and own his jersey and he's their favoritist. It's like, oh, yeah. I remember. I saw you. I saw you. I saw your tweets. But, uh, yeah, guys, that, uh, that was it. I just, uh, like I said, just sort of wanted to ramble and talk to you guys and, uh, and, and uh, wish everyone, like I said, a happy Canada Day and happy Independence Day. And, uh, you know, look for, again this Sunday, uh, another Vault episode where, we, like I said, we take my old, some of my old player interviews from my old website um, that crashed. And, of course, now I'm on with the hockey podcast. So every Wednesday is uh, new content, and then every Wednesday is a Vault episode. So I think maybe I'll put Mike Brown up this Sunday. And uh, that was a really fun interview. I hope you guys take part of it. But like I said, hey, this is episode 19. So hopefully you guys have gone back and listened to the other 18 episodes. And uh, like I said, my last episode last Wednesday was uh, with uh, Dave from the History of Hockey Fights. And, and we broke down the Probert bracket, the interview. But basically it broke down to talking about fight old fight message boards and VHS tapes. So if you're an old fight fan or an old fight club, collector um that would definitely be the episode for you um like i said brought up a whole bunch of old memories and i had a lot of fun talking to dave and it was like a two-hour nostalgic trip so but we did talk about the different guys that are in the tournament and our feelings on each guy or on a yeah we didn't go each guy but you know we broke it down and and talked about a lot of guys and it, it was fun and uh 
And then, of course, my uh, vault episode was actually the my very first player interview I ever did was with Josh Mazer. Um, you know, tough guy of the Western Hockey League. Josh is a great guest, and he fought everybody back in the day. You know what? This is the guy. He fought Eric Goddard 11 times. How do you fight Eric Goddard 11 times? Yeah, you know, and he looked great. Like I said, again, I put the fights up on my YouTube channel. Uh, He fought McIntyre and Parker and Mike Brown and you name him, he fought him. And uh, he was a great guest and we broke down the fights and, uh, and uh, he just gave us our thoughts on each guy. And, and then he played, of course he played the minors in Austin and uh, Cincinnati and tells an interesting Sasha Lakovic story. And no, Josh is a great guest. So it was a lot of fun to have him on. Um, you know, and he's definitely not the last time you'll hear him. Um, I'm trying to, I'm working on a project where I'm going to get him and him and a couple other guys. And I think it'll be really unique. No one's done it, um, this topic before. And I think it'll be a lot of fun. I've, I've talked to him about it and he's, he's, uh, he was all for it. So it should be shortly. We'll, I'll come up with it. It'll be, uh, it'll be a lot of fun, but, uh, like I said, I know there's lots of podcasts to listen to, and of course, you know, you got Spit and Chiglets and 31 Thoughts and all the big names, and so the fact that you're listening to me right now is, uh, you know, I'm honored, and, and like I said, I understand there's only so much time in the day, and there's everyone and their dog has a podcast these days, so the fact that you chose mine is, I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful, and... Um, and like I said, uh, lots of uh, lots of us small guys, you know, we're trying our best out here, and we're all fighting for our time. Like I said, we're all fighting the big guys, and and uh, like I said, Alec over at the five for fighting, William at the biscuit, bucket drop, um, you know, um, Joe over at the Coliseum Chronicles just had Aaron Asham on two part series. Check that out. Joe does a great job. All the guys do a good job, and you hear at the Hockey Podcast Network. I mean, you have all the teams represented. You got Terry Ryan. I mean, lots of any team you're interested in, or whatever topic you're interested in, the network's got guys. So, um, you know, like I said, we're uh, I, I I know we can't compete against um, Cam Jansen's show or Barnaby's or whoever, but uh, like I said, I think we we offer you know a really strong product and. Uh, like I said, the player interviews are lots of, I think I've always said, and I'm, you know, I'm not trying to sound arrogant or whatever, but I said, when it comes to player interviews, I said, I'll put my interviews up against anything that Spit and Chiglets has done. And, uh, you know, and, uh, and I, because I think you listen in, you get lots of good information, get lots of good stories. And, you know, we turn over every stone. We certainly don't blow over anything. So, um, yeah, go, like I said, go back. Morasti, Mayrad, Josh Mazer, Sean McMorrow. Joey Tedarenko, I mean, on and on. Steve McIntyre, I mean, Brad Wingfeld, I mean, lots of great guests that have told great stories. So um, I highly encourage you to go back and check out the back catalog, and uh, and I think you'll really dig it. But uh, but before I get we get to the Jamie Rivers, like I said, we talked about his uh, it, it was his, his his three fun fun teammates and uh, um, you know that just like you know Don just like yeah yeah that's you know that's a good dude. And uh, solid guy. Um, before we get into that, um, I hate to I hate to uh, be the corporate shill, and I I hate I don't call it an ad read. I call it an ad suggestion. But before, don't hit fast forward. Trust me. Before you do anything, um, I know. If, are you into hockey jerseys? Um, I know a lot of listeners are, and I know a lot of people on Twitter are. Um, and I'm not talking the Chinese knockoff sites or anything. Like I was telling somebody the other day, I, or my last time I talked about this, I le- legit was at the mall 
It was at Jersey City and the authentic jerseys with Crosby and all them on the sewn numbers and the big deal. $300 they wanted. I was like, you got to be kidding me. But with this site, it's uh, coolhockey.com. And uh, like I said, you can go pick it, pick out your jersey. You have a custom custom pick, name, number, whatever you want, um, hand sewn. So these are like the legit jerseys that the guys wear and and this they've been around since the 90s they're nhlpa endorsed um i've asked because like i said i'm not a big jersey guy but i did my due diligence i went and asked the people that are into jerseys have you heard of this company the all the feedback's been positive that i got from these guys oh i got my stuff is never a problem blah 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 always good so um yeah i can get you 30 percent off free shipping just use the promo code thpn the hockey podcast network THPN. I know right now, I think the site's stocking up right now, so I mean, they're short on a few things, but that's going to be changing right away. But yeah, like I said, the authentic jerseys, I went, I picked the Flames third jersey, custom number 16, McGratton, $180 Canadian, guys. There you go. How can you beat that? That's half the price of what they want at, and you can get whoever you want on it. Hell, like I said, Joe always likes when I said, you can put like number 69, God of Thunder, on the back if you want of your stadium third jersey, and it's $180 Canadian. So how can you beat that, you know? And uh, and like I said, so I, I was really happy to be able to uh, be able to share that. Um, and like I said, it helps out the network. I'm not getting any money from it, but uh, Isha, Dylan, and the guys here that run the network, they have a lot of expenses. And, uh, and like I said, they get a little kickback for me, uh, each Jersey that we sell. So using that promo code from the cool hockey. So, um, if any of you guys are, are looking to buy jerseys here in the future, like I said, they talk about hockey coming back here right away. And, you know, um, if you're going to celebrate by getting a Jersey, there you go. I just got your 30% off and free shipping and they're in Toronto. So the Canadian listeners, that stuff, will be, it'll be on your doorstep bef- before you can blink. But, uh, yeah, so, and hey, appreciate it. But, um, well, guys, it's Tuesday night, and honestly, it's been a long day, and I'm getting, I'm droning on here and uh, pretty tired. But, uh, like I said, I got Jamie River, a uh, segment from my, my, uh, kind of cheating a little bit, but, uh, but it was, if it's from, if you're wondering what's he talking about, it was a Christmas special that I did last year, and I had 12 different guests on, like I said before, but, uh, that's where this segment with Jamie came from. But I, I was listening, I listened back to it and he tells some great stories. And, uh, and it's, and I mean, it's, it's, it's an evergreen sort of topic, right? It does not like it's time sensitive or anything. So, uh, I think you guys will really enjoy it. And, uh, well, that'll, that'll put another wrap on, uh, episode, uh, 19, but here's, uh, my talk with Jamie Rivers. I hope you guys enjoy it. And, uh, I will talk to you guys on Sunday. So everyone have a hell, uh, have a few drinks on Canada day and stay safe and, uh, enjoy the fireworks. And, uh, for all my American listeners, uh, happy independence day on the fourth. And, uh, and remember Bob Probert invitation on Twitter, make sure to vote every day. We've got new fights coming out. So always vote. All right, guys. Thanks. Jamie Rivers. Jamie, thank you very much for taking the time to uh, talk to me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's an honor to be part of this uh, this podcast and be part of uh, everything that you guys, you're you doing over there. So, my pleasure. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. And uh, I was saying to you earlier, kind of, I'm having the 12 guests on and I've given everybody a different topic. And the topic I gave you was basically, instead of the three wise men, the three beauties. 
Like, so it was basically the three beauty teammates that you played with in your career. Maybe it's junior, minor, NHL, whatever. And it doesn't have to be the best guys or whatever, but it was like, if you guys are sitting around in an alumni thing or whatever, and this person's name gets mentioned, everybody just nods and is like, yeah, fucking A, that guy's a beauty. So that was my, <laughs> that was my mission for you. So, uh, well, that's, uh, I play with a lot of guys. I mean, yeah. when you have a career like mine, when you play on every team in the league and <laughs> play with almost every guy that ever played in the league, you, you get to come across to, <clears throat> excuse me, quite a few beauties. So, uh, hopefully we don't disappoint here, but, uh, you know, how far back are we looking to go here? Hey, I, hey! I'll go back to Sudbury with you for all. For, hey, we'll go back to the Ontario <laughs> League. That's all cool. Yeah. Well, you know what? We'll uh, we'll start my rookie in my rookie time in St. Louis. We had uh, only a couple of young guys, and this guy and I hit it off. Actually, it was the year before we were both playing the minors, and it's Jim Campbell, Soupy for yep. those people that know who I'm talking about. But he was. He was playing in the minors in Baltimore, and I was playing in the minors in Worcester. And you know, he's a cherry picking type guy back in the day. And like, we didn't, he didn't like those guys. I'm a D man, so this guy's like cherry picking all night. So I came off the bench the one time, and I skated over and two had him in the back of the legs while he was like trying to stretch the ice, at, like the red line, because you couldn't go to the blue line back in those days. We had the two line yep, pass. Yep. So I, I come over and give him a chop. And, and he turns and looks at me and goes, hey, hey. He's like, can't we all just get along here? <laughs> and like, this is on the ice. And I'm like looking at him. And then I, I kind of chop him again. And then the whistle goes and I try to find him. Because at this point, I'm like, I'm going to, I might just give this guy a beating. You know, I'm thinking in my head. And then he grabs me and goes, hey, hey. He goes, don't you know how it works, man? I'm like, what are you talking about? Like looking at him. And he goes, listen, we're both in the minors. He goes, if we want to get called up, we got to score goals. He's like, you just let me go. I'll score a goal. He goes, I, I won't cover you in my defensive zone. I'll just let you come in, and you can get a backdoor tap in. He goes, by the end of tomorrow, we're both called up. That's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, well, this guy is a beauty. Like, just sitting there going, oh, my God. And you know what? Like, as crazy as it sounds, like, he wasn't really that wrong because, you know, we're young guys, and, and we're looking to – the teams are wanting us to produce and whatnot. And back then, you know, the defensive game wasn't as like it is today. So it was funny. And, and, you know, obviously we both got called up later that year. I don't think it had anything to do with playing easy on each other, but <laughs> lo and behold, uh, we find each other's teammates the next year. He gets signed by the blues yep. in the off season. And we're two of the youngest guys on the team. I think it was me, him, Harry York, for those hockey historians out there, and I think Jamie McLennan. So a couple of Western boys and a kid from Massachusetts with Campbell and, and a kid from Ontario being me, and Soupy was hilarious. He always had a way of, like, he didn't want to pay for anything. And it wasn't, like, he's cheap. Don't get me wrong, he's cheap. Like, if, if he has a chance of not reaching into his pocket, then he's certainly going to exercise that option. But <laughs> he would go for, he'd have contests and be like, Let's see how long we can go without paying for stuff around town. And I, it's funny because back then, you know, like the hockey guys, like not that we were a big deal, but you kind of are a big deal, especially yeah. when you're in the NHL. And so the tickets, you know, we could get as many as we wanted back then. Like you go over to the 
ticket guy and say, hey, give me four or five tickets for this game, blah, blah, blah. And usually you could make it happen. You know, things are more difficult these days. But so he'd go and, you know, he would barter around town with tickets for like everything. And he, we had a competition one time to see who could go the longest. And I got like three days in and then I'm like, one, I don't even know if I could have kept going, but I was two, I was embarrassed. I was like, I can't ask for shit for free anymore. Like, I just can't do it. Soupy went like three weeks without paying for anything. <laughs> it was hilarious. Like this guy was walking around town with like blues tickets. Like he had like the brand new, like crack cocaine that people just needed, you know, and he was dealing it everywhere. So it was pretty funny. He was a beauty. I mean, he was my roommate on the road and we were, you know, we'd be in the hotel room and we'd order room service and the waiter would come in and, you know, we'd have him come and wheel the, the little table in between the beds. And, you know, as I'm like paying the bill, Soupy would have the, the shampoo bottle from the, the bathroom open and he'd be like laying down on his bed and shoe check the waiter. So as he's like explaining the bill to me, I see, you know, him reaching down with the shampoo, shoe checking this guy who's delivering food to our room. And I'm just like, Oh my God. So at that point I'm, not panicking, but I'm trying to keep them a little bit distracted. And you can always tell about three steps as they're way out the door, they'd notice there was stuff all over their shoe and they couldn't figure out like, where the hell did that come from? And it was just soupy being an idiot, shoe checking people. Well, well, there you go. Well, there, that's a hell of a start. That's uh there we go. <laughs> Love it. Jim. Hey, I was going to, as we're, I was just kind of looking at the roster as you were talking and this guy, he's now a GM in the league. And I like because and everybody had the it's in Montreal, of course, with uh, Mark Bergevin, and everybody goes on and on with the whole PK thing and blah. Oh, and he hated him because he doesn't like fun and blah blah blah. I have heard from a few people that Mark Bergevin's hilarious. Oh man, he is seriously one of the funniest guys. I was going to have him. I was going to put him on my list, but I figured since he's a GM now, yeah. he probably wouldn't want. You know, the uh, the original unfiltered Bergy stories out there. So, but no, this guy was a riot. You know, he would uh, he'd go on the road, and Bergy's got a big nose, and we used to joke around and call him Roxanne from the movie you know, that Steve Martin played. <clears throat> and so he would get a laugh out of that, and he'd always order a coffee wherever we were on the road, and have them put like a little bit of whipped cream. And this was like before it was the Starbucks thing, and he'd always stick his nose into the whipped cream on purpose and have it sitting on the end of his nose. And this would be like at the end of dinner at, let's say a Morton's or, you know, some Capitol grill, like a really nice restaurant on the road where we're out and spending a couple of hundred bucks for dinner and nice wine. He'd order an after dinner coffee and stand at the bar. And of course there's guys and there's women. And most of the time, you got women who are checking you out or look, you know, who are those guys? And they find out and then Bergie would stick his nose into the whipped cream while he was drinking coffee. And then he'd purposely go over and like talk to some of these girls and act like he had no idea that he had whipped cream on the end of his nose. And he would just carry on the conversation. And then he continued to keep drinking while sticking his nose in the whipped cream and just carry on a conversation and, Man, it was so hard to try and keep a straight face while this guy's trying to pull off this song and dance. And, you know, some of the women would be like, oh, you got something on your nose. And then he'd, like, wipe one side and leave the rest and continue to talk. And, I mean, he was just a funny guy. And then he, he had the French accent, and he could turn it on or turn it off. And he'd really turn it on sometimes, and he'd be at the bar, and 
He's like, oh, I just had a penis colada. And the girls would like give a double take and be like, what? He's like, yeah, I had the penis colada. You know, I, it's not bad. You know, this and that. He goes, what are you talking about? And he would do shit like that all the time where he would just like to mess with people nonstop. And he's just a riot, man. Really, really funny guy. Great teammate. Yeah, uh, story for hours. Well, it, yeah, and it was funny because you'd always see on Twitter, of course, all the back and forth with the Subad thing. And oh, I remember the one guy is like, "Oh, he got rid of Subad because Subad likes to have fun, and Bergevin's never had fun." And I'm like, "Oh, you clearly have no clue what you're talking about, kid." Yeah, but oh yeah, no way. Bergevin was awesome. I mean, he. Yeah. So I'll tell one more quick Bergevin story here. Is we were in Phoenix. I was playing for the Blues and. We were down 3-1 in, to, in the playoffs to Phoenix. They had Roenick. They had Kachuk. They had a hell of a team. And we, we came back in the playoff series and won it in seven. And I think it was double overtime. Pierre Turgeon scored. And at that time, it was in Phoenix, and they were kind of new to this playoff thing. And so the fans adopted the whiteout from the original Winnipeg Jets when they used to be in the playoffs. And so these fans would be – Head to toe in white, and it was pretty awesome. But when we won the series, <laughs> Bershey came running down the hallway. He, he was out that game, and he was injured. But we had to, used to have to walk down the hallway from the area where you change into your like street clothes, and then down the hallway was a locker room. And Bershey came running down the hallway in front of all these media people and everything, and he was butt naked and wrapped from head to toe in toilet paper and white hockey tape. And, you know, he had, obviously he had taped a large Gatorade bottle to a certain area, so it looked like he was, uh, let's just say, very well packed yep. in that area. And so he came running down the hallway like a mummy, covered head to toe in white toilet paper and white hockey tape to celebrate us winning in double overtime and, you know, obviously with the whiteout, and we were in Phoenix, so it was pretty funny. It, it, people were wondering, well, first of all, who the hell is this guy? And then after it happened, we were sitting in the locker room going, well, he had to have been somewhat prepared for this. That means he was, like, sitting in the room, <laughs> and somebody was helping him do this in anticipation that we were going to win. Because, like, if we didn't win that game, then he'd have to peel all that off of him. Yeah. So it was pretty funny it was a lot of work that went into it it was pretty damn funny to watch this grown man a veteran of the nhl come in you know pretty much naked head to toe covered in white stuff so pretty funny there we go love it yeah so everybody out there mark bergevin is a funny guy yeah he's and, a great and, guy. And easily, funny guy great guy and easily the most jack gm ever yeah oh yeah i mean it was crazy like Bergy, like i remember when he came to st louis you're looking at him in street clothes. You're like, okay, you know, he's a normal-sized guy. And then as he's getting changed, he's like Jack, like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm like, where the hell did that come from? Yeah. And, like, you just don't see it. It didn't look like it on the ice. And then he had a couple of good tussles where he grabs guys and, like, throws them around like nothing. And I'm sure they're sitting there going, how the hell did that guy just throw me around like that? And having no idea that this guy was, like, Mr. Universe under there. No, Absolutely. I threw you off with the Bergevin, but, uh, so number three, we got Jim Campbell. So the number two beauty in Jamie Rivers, three beauties of Christmas. (laughs) Number two is a minor league guy. I don't think he ever got NHL games, but he is the epitome of a beauty. And it's Brendan Walsh. 
Love it. Little thought yep. off, little Massachusetts from Dorchester, Mass. And, you know, he would fight anybody and everybody. He was just one of those guys. And I mean, this guy, I remember we were at a hotel and we went to get something to eat. And you're in the miners at the time, so you're going, you're not going to Morton's or things like that. So we, we went over to Outback Steakhouse <laughs> and we're sitting at the bar because it's crowded and whatnot. And I look over and he's, you know, we're got our big, huge Outback steak knives, like, you know, this normal stuff. And this guy's smoking behind him. And so while she looks behind him, he kind of gives the guy an elbow. He's like, Hey pal, he's like, uh, Hey, I'm trying to eat here. You mind taking the cigarette, you know, somewhere else. And the guy just kind of looks at him and, you know, whatever, and just kind of leaves it be, and then continues to smoke and doesn't move. And oh, well, he goes, "Hey, pal, I told you, can you take a cigarette and go somewhere else, please? I'm trying to eat." And the guy goes, "You're in the fucking bar, you know." He's like, "What do you expect?" And while he takes his Outback Steakhouse knife and puts it up to the guy's neck. <laughs> and says, listen, pal, I asked you to move with your goddamn cigarette. I'm eating a steak dinner here tonight. <laughs> and so I'm like sitting there and I got to turn around and jump in. And I'm like, holy crap, you know, take the steak knife away from him. And the bartender's like looking at me like, what are you going to do about this guy? I'm like, oh, he's fine. He's just, you know, he's really hungry. He makes him grumpy. And, <laughs> but it, he was, uh, I mean, that was just one of many stories, but. Well, she was a beauty. I mean, he he knows everybody from that, you know, New England area. Any player that went through Pittsburgh at that time knows of Walshy is a legendary guy. And you know, he'd sit out on the ice and he'd look over at at their bench and he would chirp their coach or something. And the coach would get angry. And back then, obviously, guys, coaches, I don't say they sent guys out, but you knew, like, if a coach gave you a tap to – make a line change after some guy on the other team was just chirping you yeah. then you know that it, it's go time yep. and so he would you know the coaches would send somebody over and while she would look up and he'd start laughing he'd be like you better send somebody tougher than this guy you know <laughs> and he would look over and he'd, he'd go listen kid i just gotta tell you you're gonna take a beating and this guy over here he doesn't care about you. He just puts you on the ice, but he 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 knows you're going to take a beating right now. <laughs> and so serious shit, you know, puck would drop, and well, she'd usually beat the crap out of somebody. And it was funny because for people who don't know, and they can Google him and whatnot, he's only like five nine, five ten, and I mean, he was just like a little pit bull out there, and he'd fight anybody, anywhere, anytime, and very seldom did he lose. In fact. I believe that he actually knocked out PJ Stocks, one of his front teeth at Boston Bruins training camp the one year. They had a little dust up, and obviously PJ Stock is yep. a legendary chucker, as we'll call him. Yep. Um, but they had a dust up, and apparently he got his tooth knocked out by good old Walshy. So, yeah. yeah. Actually, you know what? It reminds me of a really good story with Walshy and. I won't take up too much time here. With this, oh, this, but is great. this is great, man. When I, when I was playing with the Red Wings, um, you know, I had played with Walshy already, and he was, he was, I can't remember if he was playing in Providence at the time or if he had just retired, and he was trying to get into the police department, which he's a Boston police officer now, by the way, which is hilarious. Yep. Um, but we were out in Boston drinking, 
and having dinner the night before the game. And we had a noon game the next day. We were playing the Bruins. It was like the oh, it was ESPN or NBC game of the week back then before all this television was involved all the time. And so we went out to eat. And then while she goes, well, let's go over to let's go to, over to Dorchester. I want you to I want to take you to a couple places. And now I had played for the Bruins like a year before or two years before. And so, I mean, I, people kind of knew who I was. Like, I wasn't like Joe Thornton, but it was pretty recent, like a, within a year's time that I had been there as a player. So while she was like, the guy at the, this place wants to meet you, he's the owner of a bar. And I'm like, okay, great. So we venture into South Boston, into Southie. And we go to Dorchester, a place called the Erie Pub. And while we're there, you know, I, I did meet the owner and he has – me sign a wall because he's got a bunch of Bruins players that have been in there and signed his wall. And we're having a great time. A couple of Wall Street buddies come up and introduce themselves. And one guy's name is Chowder. I mean, never, I never did find out his real name. They just kept, everybody just called him Chowder all night long. And so anyways, <clears throat> I go to the bathroom. And as I come out of the bathroom, like everybody's gone except for Chowder, who's like staring out the front window. And I'm like, this isn't good. Like, what's going on here? So I come out, and I'm like, Chowder, what's going on? He goes, oh, well, she's having a dust-up. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, oh, he's out in the street. I'm like, wait. I, I literally took a piss for like a minute, maybe a minute and a half. And now everything is rolled out into the streets, and I pop open the door to go outside, and there's Walsh. He's got some guy pinned down, and he's feeding him a, a beating. And I'm like, holy shit. So... I jump in, like I go in there to help and whatnot. And there's this girl, I guess it's the guy's girlfriend who's trying to rake while she's eyes out. Cause he's beating the crap out of her boyfriend. <laughs> and so I, I, I just go over and I'm like, I don't push anybody. I just sort of do the, you know, break it up, you know? Yep. And so this other guy who's watching is like, Hey, don't touch her. I'm like, I'm not touching her dude. Like, I think I'm going to like, I'm not touching a girl. And so he, like, comes running at me. And I'm like, what is going on here? So I rear back and I clock this guy. And I drop him with one punch. And down he goes. Well, then, now now I'm the bad guy. And everybody who's part of this little clique is trying to fight me. And so this other guy jumps onto me. And lo and behold, I kind of gave it to him, too. But the problem in all this is we have a game the next day at noon. And I'm out in my suit. Because we're, it was like a one-day trip from Detroit to Boston, not a big deal. You bring one suit at best. And so I was wearing the suit, and now I'm covered in blood. Not my blood, thank God, but I'm covered in blood all over it. And then while she, we're all done, and we're walking back towards his parents' house because he's like, oh, my mom will be able to help you get that blood out of your shirt. So you sure as shit, we go into the Walsh's house, and they're in bed. They get up. They come down, the old man pops a bottle of wine, the mom grabs a bottle of like soda water, and she's working away on my dress shirt, and about 4 o'clock in the morning at this point, and she gets all the stains out, good old mama wash, and I head back to the hotel. I'm walking into the hotel when a couple of the coaches are coming down for breakfast because we have the noon game, right? So it's like 4.30, quarter to 5, I'm walking into the hotel, and they're getting up early to you know, get ahead of the game or get their stuff ready. And so I just had to pull it off like I was 
down there eating breakfast too. Like I couldn't sleep. So I walked in, ate breakfast and whatnot and tried to run upstairs after get a couple hours sleep. And anyways, long story short, we, uh, <laughs> we went on to, to play that game and we beat the Bruins that day. And I've got this fantastic story to, to tell the rest of the world now. And my buddy Walsh, he was a part of it. That's awesome. Yeah, well, I've talked to him on Twitter a bunch of times, and yeah, the new year, I'm going to get him on. Yeah, he was a tough dude, He uh, and he's got, just even just privately talked to him on Twitter, he's had some good stories, so we'll, uh, well, hopefully we can get him on. Yeah, but uh, that, that was tremendous. You look at you fighting in the streets of Southie, yeah. Oh my God, I'm telling you, right, in my suit, ready, I'm supposed to be playing the game the next day, oh my God. <laughs> Thank God I'm retired telling this story now. Yeah, well, there you go, yeah. Uh, well, these are great, man. So, uh, what was, oh yeah. So, uh, last one, I I won't bug you too much longer, but, uh, I mean, we could, I could listen to this all night, but, uh, uh, the number one, well, I thought we're not ranking them here, but one more beauty in, uh, Jamie Rivers, uh, three beauties. Well, this one here, uh, a a lot more notable as, as an NHLer is Chris Chelios. And, uh, Chelly was like, I love Chelly growing up, you know, watching him play. And I love the way he played. He had a good balance of offense and he was gritty and he was dirty and he was mean and, you know, all these things. I just, I thought he was awesome. And so when I got to Detroit, you know, he was awesome to me. He had a couple of restaurants and whatnot. And so he extended the invitation to me to go out and eat at the restaurants and whatnot. And, so this guy was, I mean, he's one of the best teammates I ever had. And it was an honor to play with him because he was so competitive. But, like, when you talk about old school, Shelly was old school. And what's that, I tell you, his morning routine, <clears throat> and people always rave about how great a shape Shelly was in and all this stuff. And then I was there for, like, a month, and I was like, how is he in such good shape? Because he likes his beer. Like, he likes to drink, and he owned a couple of bars and restaurants, So, and he was always out. I don't think he was out drinking or out drunk every night. I don't know, because nobody could actually keep pace with the man, but he was known to have a few pops. And so Holly and I used to ride together on the way to the rink, and the one morning, you know, we're kind of like tapping on, Holly taps on this big old Lincoln is parked at Joe Lewis. I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, oh, that's Chelly's car. He's tapping on the window. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, hang on. And sure as shit, Chelly's head pops out of a sleeping bag in the back seat of this Lincoln. Now, it's not like a car like these days. You remember, like, these Lincolns were massive. Oh, it took so, up two parking meters. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so he's laying in the back of that thing. So it's like a, a twin bed at, at minimum. And he's in a sleeping bag. Now, it's the middle of winter in Joe Lewis, or in Detroit at Joe Lewis Arena. So it's not like, one, it's not in the best area of town. And two, it's freezing cold. And three, like, we're on our way into practice, and this guy's sleeping in the back of his car. And he's, you know, Chris Kellios. And so he gets up, comes in with us, <clears throat> and I'm still, you know, figuring Kelly out. I've known him for a couple of months now, but I'm still trying to figure it out. And I watch him, and he goes in the locker room and drags a bike into the sauna. I'm like, what the hell is he doing? And he starts to ride the bike for about five minutes, not much tension. And then after five minutes, comes out of the sauna, walks straight over to the ice bath or the cold tub, 
and like jumps in underwater, comes back out, takes a towel, kind of dries off, puts on a fresh pair of shorts, goes back into the sauna and rides the bike again for like five, 10 minutes, comes out, same routine, walks over to the ice bath, jumps in the ice bath, right underwater, comes out, towels off, grabs a coffee and he's ready to go. Like, like a champ. Like he'd be out there practicing better than everybody. And you know, he's like playing guilty or practicing guilty, whatever it is. He'd walk in, you know, giving a little left and right, little wobble going into the rink. After his routine, he'd be like ready to go. And he would have every pass on the tape. He'd be competitive. He would go, go, go. And then like this guy would be up for the rest of the day. He'd go home after practice. And he had kids, so he'd take the boys to hockey. The girls had things. He'd do stuff with his wife. And then he'd circle back around to his restaurants, do a tour there, then go end up at the bars, and then end up back again where, like, the next morning, he's got the bike in the sauna. He's in the ice bath. I was like, this guy is a legend. Nice. That's that's <laughs> fucking tremendous. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. He was pretty, it was pretty awesome. And. You know, he never, ever, like, he was just a true pro. And that sounds crazy because you're talking about a guy, you know, having a few pops or whatever, but he never, ever let it come between him and playing hard or playing well. And so it was pretty cool to see that and to be a teammate of his and, 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 and get to know him that well. That's awesome. Well, man, that's uh, that's three beauty stories right there. And, and like I said, when we have more time, I'm certainly going to get you on when you're when we have more time because I got a million questions for you. And I mean, I know you got stories for days, but I did want to ask you. You know, we're talking, we're having laughs here, but uh, it's always one of these things now, especially in this social media. And you know, everyone's an Xbox GM now on Twitter, and we got the analytics crowd and all that. And uh, you know, we can go back and forth. You know, that's for another conversation. But I think what what often gets overlooked, and sometimes with the New Age fans or whatever, it's almost made fun of when it's kind of brought up like, oh, well, why would they sign this guy? And it's like, you know, it's like the old, oh, he's good in the room. And then, of course, then you get the analytic nerds jumping in, and that doesn't mean anything. But you know what I mean, and blah, blah, blah. And I had Dakota Odgers on, who played with the Vancouver Giants, of course, Jeff Odgers' son. And he was saying how his dad, Jeff, another beauty, um, he managed to, you know, stretch out an extra two years on his career just by being good in the room. And it's like, it's a real thing. And anybody who played elite level sports knows what that, what I'm talking about when I say in the room. And I mean, it's become cliche to throw around on social media and people talk like they know or whatever. But how important is that role? In any locker room, but in your case, seeing as you have NHL, you know, in an NHL locker room, how important is that guy? Well, it's it's really important, man. You know, like that, it's kind of funny because it, it's not that I became that guy or whatnot, but I kind of did become that guy yep. in the second half of my career. And it was... It was really important because when you're young and you're getting scratched or if you don't play, like you're pouty or you're angry or you're pissed, whatever it is, right? Like you walk around the room and you want everybody to know you're not happy. And throughout the course of my career, I realized that at that point, nobody really wants to talk to you anyways. Like they don't give a shit, one, that you're mad. They just think, well, I don't want to talk to this guy because, you know, he's just going to bring me down or he's got a bad attitude or they don't know what to say or whatever it is, right? So they kind of distance themselves from you. And I found that 
I alienated myself sometimes that way because I thought like I needed to be angry and you know, sometimes it's okay to be that way. But as my career went on and I realized that maybe I'm a guy that, you know, I'm a six, seven defenseman on this team. I can play. I know I can, but that's not my role right now. My role is to be good in the locker room, be a good team guy. And I remember very, very much so when I signed with the Red Wings and, you know, they had the luxury of signing anybody. Like, yeah. you know, I, I had the privilege of signing there, but they could have signed a number of guys that probably had the same skill set as me at the time. And, but what they didn't have, what those guys didn't have was a way to figure out how to integrate themselves into a locker room and become a big part of the team without actually having to be a big time player. And what I mean by that is, you know, the moment you step in and you sort of ease your way in. So a month and a half into my time in Detroit, you start to show your personality a little bit. And, you know, Joe or uh, Dave Lewis was extremely good to me as far as communication. Joe Coaster was our assistant coach and obviously everybody loves Joey. And yep. they were really great at telling me, look at you're you're not gonna play. You know, you're, this is where we're at and I mean we had Chelios, Lidstrom, Schneider, Hatcher, uh where do I go from there? Like just all Hall of Fame defense corps. So I knew that my role was gonna be different. And I embraced it. So it was great because I became valuable in, in different ways to where I'd be the guy to pick guys up in the locker room. Like I'd be scratched three, four games in a row and I'd come into the room, I'd be like three hours early for practice and, you know, be ready to shoot the shit with guys, go out on the ice early, work with the extra goalie, or if anybody needed me to help them do anything, pass pucks to see the Iserman because he used to love to go out there 35 minutes before practice and do shooting and things like that. And I just became... I felt like I became a real good teammate. And so it's really important to have those guys that are good in the room because they boost the morale of the team. When, you know, a lot of guys are, there's highs and lows in the season. And the last thing you need is to have negative energy dragging you down even more. Or if the coach is pissed or things aren't going well, or even if they're going great, like it's always a lot more fun to have a guy around that, is fun to be with that yep. likes to go for dinner with the boys, have a couple of sodas, go to the gym, work out, go to whatever, go grab sushi. Like it doesn't always have to be anything fantastic. And it's not like you got to stand up and give some crazy speech in the locker room and be that kind of a leader. It's not what I, it's not what my role was. And I took a lot of pride in being a good locker room guy to make sure that my actions were always I was always thinking of how the team would be able to benefit from it. And even though I'm not a player that was 20, 25 minutes a game and whatnot, like I had to make sure that my presence was felt in, in a positive way to help the team. And by being a good locker room guy, by being a good teammate, by doing all those things, it helped my team and my teammates out. And it actually probably extended my career that way. Well, there you go. And you've, uh, you know, while they're, there you go, folks, and 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 you were a hell of a teammate for this podcast. I appreciate you uh, taking the time out. I know you're busy and you got to go coach and stuff. And uh, but uh, I always appreciate uh, 
the time that you took. Uh, I mean, we've talked on Twitter quite a bit and privately and stuff. I was going to give you the top five Matt to Chuck moments, but I figured we won't talk about that today. Because <laughs> I saw, I saw you. Dr- about it, eh? I saw you yesterday. I saw the tweet. Yeah, me directed at me and Kimball. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, well, you guys are bits and moaning. There you go. Kid steps up, has a fight for his teammates. You know. Yes, he Just did. Saying. Yes, he did. I can't say. I can't <laughs> knock it. But uh, no, I will definitely if uh, have you on again, and we'll do this longer because I got a million questions for you. But uh, but thank you so much uh, for coming on the show. Likewise, buddy. Thank you very much for having me on, and we'll definitely do another one in the new year, and uh, we'll dive even deeper into some of these stories. But it's been a pleasure being on, buddy. I really appreciate you having me. Thank you, Jamie. I appreciate it, and have a good night. And you people that don't like fighting, how many of you did you walk out and get a coffee while that was on?